let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. And what I'm going to introduce you guys to right now is a new segment. It is called This Week in White People Seasoning Their Chicken with Mayonnaise and Oppression. <laughs> and yes, guys, this week in pe- White People Seasoning Their Chicken with Mayonnaise and Oppression, we are talking about some white antics in North Dakota. Okay, it's not just white people. It's just people who think that oil is the end or the be-all. But anyways, for months, the Standing Rock Six Tribe in North Dakota has been waging a pitched battle against a proposed oil pipeline that would run near their reservation. What's their problem with this? Well, it runs very close to the reservation, and it might hit some sacred burial grounds, which they really care about. So now, we've heard a lot of talk about pipelines over the last couple of months, or even years, because one of the most popular forms of energy, and what a lot of elected officials like to call clean energy, even though it's not, is natural gas. And you know you go underground for those things. So anyways, these pipelines have been going, and environmentalist hippies who like to hug trees and eat leaves and don't like fried chicken or steak because they don't love America. Present. They have been saying that the reason that they don't like these pipelines is because if they leak, they could have some really bad um, impacts on the environment. Well... The Seahawks tribe folk are saying the same exact thing, but they're not just saying that. They're saying our tribes are supposed to be treated by the government as another government, which means you can't just make decisions on our land without telling us there has to be a conversation and you have to get our approval, which apparently they did not necessarily do that with the tribe. So the tribe is saying that, and they're also saying that these pipelines are very dangerous because if it leaks, it can hurt their land. Now, historically, these pipelines have had some leaks or some explosions. We haven't had a super lot of them, but we've had enough. And the reason the oil companies want to do this is because since they weren't, they don't have pipelines yet, they had to put these things on trains and have them travel through the states, and it costs a little bit more money. And also, these trains, which they call bomb trains, if they crash, they can cause some irreparable damages. And just like most things that deal with the environment and hurting people, these hurtful environmental things usually are in communities of color or communities where Native Americans live. So, bomb trains pass through Albany. Guess where in Albany? A black neighborhood if you have your right hand next to your face and you put it really closely the space in between there is how much space the bomb train has from passing these neighborhoods and if it trips and falls over or it crashes the fire is so toxic they have advised firefighters not even try don't try to put it out just let it burn out Mm -hmm. so guess who suffers the consequences so oil companies are saying oh that might not be a good idea we got to get away from that so let's put it underground north dakota's governor has already approved it and he says it can create eight to 12,000 jobs. Some people mm. say it probably is not going to create those many jobs because it's a crock of BS and the battle ensues. So, getting back to our heroes, the Native Americans and the activists and the people on the ground who have been fighting this, peacefully protesting for weeks, some people even months, and build, building a groundswell of support. And the government and the business has been ignoring their demands. They filed a lawsuit to get an injunction. The injunction did not go through. Then you had the business, the oil company, sending dogs to attack the protesters and then destroying a piece of their burial grounds that they were fighting for in the first place. And then finally, this week, after taking a couple of L's and having the governor of North Dakota call for the National Guard to be present so that they could not protest, the President Obama, Barack J. Kwan Hussein Laquain, <laughs> Michelle Obama's husband, Michelle Obama with the heavy cake he would talk about. Oh, Obama. God, we'll talk about that picture during oh, the Oh, praise by Jesus, that. we will talk about that heavy cake. <laughs> but, anyways, J. Kwan. What? Barack J. Kwan, anyway. Luquain Obama, put a stop, a temporary stop, 
to the pipeline. And what does that leave us? That leaves us right now getting ready to have a great conversation about this topic. So guys, just to get things going, because this wasn't something that was covered in the media, I want to hear from you guys. When did you first hear about this, or did you hear about it at all? And so uh, Alyssa brought it up when we had our phone call to talk about show topics. I'll start with you, Selena. Um, no, I heard about it. Um, I think that it was getting coverage, but not a lot of mainstream coverage. They've been doing a lot of protesting in North Dakota, but I think that uh, the the protests didn't start getting coverage until they got pretty brutal, and the pipeline people released their dogs and started pepper spraying people and macing mm -hmm. them. And I know that Democracy Now! has been doing yeah. an excellent job of covering it on the ground. I think Amy Goodman was right there it, uh, watching people get uh, attacked by dogs and pepper sprayed, and she was interviewing them on scene. And from what I heard, she has a warrant out for her arrest, I think, in North yeah. Dakota now because of her involvement with the protest. But I mean, she was right front and center. And that, I know for me, is really the only way I had heard about it was if, through Democracy Now. I feel like it really depends, like, sort of who your friends are and what they're posting in some ways, like, because yeah. of the way that we get our news has really changed. And I get a lot of times when I first hear about something, I hear about it on Facebook or social media. And then from there, I then go and, like, look into it more so I first became aware of it when I saw a bunch of friends of mine who are very environmental uh like they're like not that I'm not but they're like even more so like for me like my big issue is like police misconduct right so like that's the big thing I focus on but I have friends that like their big focus is environmental issues so because I have friends that are deeply involved in that movement the first time I became aware is because I saw friends of mine posting about it there was like a video from the site attention ATTN right and then like I saw some of the democracy now coverage and then from there, um, the coverage became bigger and bigger, and then by this week, or like I guess late last week, there the New York Times was then finally right, covering finally, it right. and mainstream media. But I think like that's really you know it's one of those things. You are the company that you keep, and so the issues that you care about are really and whether or not you're informed about a really important issue that's going on is largely going to be in, dictated by who you keep as your friends and what kind of important stuff they post and whether they post cat videos or important videos about protests and pipelines. Right. Well, I think it's it's sort of formulaic for not. Um, getting a lot of mainstream media attention, right? This is an environmental issue surrounding by uh, surrounding an indigenous community um, in the middle of the country. So it's not something that typically, unfortunately, gets a lot of mainstream coverage. So I'm glad that we're talking about it today. No, definitely. And just in case people aren't as familiar with the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, I'll just give some background information. So it was proposed in 2014 by Dakota Access, which is a subsidiary for of Texas of the Texas-based group uh, and. Energy transfer partners. So if this pipeline would actually be built, it would carry almost 500,000 barrels of crude uh, of crude per day from um, the uh, Bacon oil fields in North Dakota down to a terminal in Illinois. So, um, and basically it would be shipped to refineries and then turned into usable fuel. And the whole thing would stretch over 1,000 miles and cost about $3.7 billion to uh, build. And if you speak to people who are uh, in favor of this pipeline or pipelines in general, a lot of times what you'll hear is that transporting oil is dangerous mm -hmm. and that right now how, the way we transport oil is using trucks and trains and that when we transport oil using trucks and trains, there's a high potential for accidents where a train can derail, a truck can get in an accident and that can lead to worse environmental disasters. At least that's the argument that they purport and that by installing pipelines, um, you can 
can move oil faster and in a safer manner, and they claim it's safer for the environment. However, there's not been enough environmental studies on that, I think, to be able to definitively say. Now, I do think they have some point that, like, trains can derail and, and, and... Trucks can crash, but guess what? Pipelines, they can also leak and burst. And there's and they be, do. And they do. And we know that. And we also know that we can have significant environmental effects from these pipelines, um, as well as the fact, you know, obviously the fact that this is now going through sacred burial grounds that are important to Native people. And I, I will get into, I guess, the history of atrocities against Native Americans in just a little while. Um, but to me, it's like I would like to see some... One, I'm not necessarily totally 100% against pipelines generally, um, but I do think that in order for us to decide that we're going to be able to build a pipeline, we need to, one, make sure we're not building it through people's lands that is important, and two, we're taking into account all the environmental considerations that we need to, especially with respect to our water supply, because obviously our water supply is more important than our energy supply. And this proposed pipeline would go underneath the Missouri River, which is why it is so controversial, because if there were to be a leak um, or a rupture of the pipeline, that could have really devastating effects for that river and that waterway. And not only, um, you know, good point, Jackie, but that's the reservation's main source of drinking water. Exactly. So if anything was to happen, they would no longer be able to survive. Um, We see what happened in Flint, where people literally started dying after um, their water supply was poisoned because uh, it became became toxic. Um, Another reason why uh, a lot of activists are standing against it is because um, this pipeline would run directly through a stretch of land um, of the the, uh, reservation that contains a number of sacred sites and burial places so think about it like if you are a religious person specifically like like i can really like i'm christian i can't necessarily relate to you know um what the native americans believe in but i it's it's like basically saying like a historic black church would be taken down right. or something like that. I think it's more along the lines of like, think about how you would feel if somebody decide like if you had a relative, I don't even think you have to be religious. Like if you have a relative that's buried somewhere in a cemetery and all of a sudden this oil company comes along and it's like, hey, we're going to run a pipeline through the cemetery. Oh, and by the way, yeah, your relative's r- remains may get um, uproot. Like how would you feel like uh, about that? Like you don't have to be religious. No, you don't. And that's a for great that point. kind of thing. What if it was multiple relatives, especially those like you guys are Jewish. Right. What if it was like relatives that didn't survive the Holocaust? Right. Exactly. And, and in this burial ground. Right. No, That's how sacred it is. Exactly. And, and it, it, it's yeah. extremely problematic. And I, I know that I would feel like I had something very important taken away from me. But that would that never to happen to that, like, in my opinion, to well, like different types of groups of Americans. I think that like Native Americans have been extremely marginalized. I don't know that it wouldn't genocide. happen, but I think that especially so with Native Americans, right, and indigenous people who have had a long history of being taken advantage of and whose communities have been destroyed um, by colonialism, we need to be even more sensitive to those communities. Well, right? I mean, it also has to do with a certain amount of political power, right? right? I mean, like, white Christian people have, unlike, or even white Jewish people, have a lot more political power in this country to say, no, you're not doing that on my land than yeah. Native people. I mean, that's been like a historical thing. Just to give you some background, right? Um, unlike the civil rights movement in the U.S. in the 1960s, which led to like a blanket legal reform through the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Native Americans have only been able to gain their civil and legal rights piece by piece. In 1924, Congress passed the Indian Citizenship Act, giving Native Americans dual citizenship. Not till 1924, 
1924. Wow. Okay, um, and it wasn't until um, they gained they didn't gain uniform voting rights until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and it wasn't until 1968 that the Indian Civil Rights Act was passed, where they finally gained the right to free speech, the right to a jury, and protection from unreasonable search and seizure, which is the First Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, and the Fourth Amendment. So, like 1968, that's not even that long ago. Wow. I mean, like, so then you wonder, like, it's always with marginalized people, and why do they get taken advantage of? It's because they're marginalized; they don't have the political power or support and part of that is because we've stripped them of it right exactly um so i think that this is an extremely problematic idea and i'm, I'm happy to see that obama's um and the justice department have put a foot down and said you know we need to take a step back um one of the biggest arguments was that the oil company claimed that they had really consulted with indigenous groups and said okay we really involved them in the process and everything's copacetic we're going to move forward and these groups argued absolutely we were not included in these in these plans um we would have been very vocally opposed from the get-go you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of al franken lying liars and the and like the liars that to tell, tell them, them. <laughs> exactly so i'm glad that the obama administration at the very least put a pause to this process and said wait a minute we need to take a step back we need to involve the groups of people who will be the most impacted by the implementation of this pipeline um and really get their input before we move forward with anything and this hit um the justice department's stop to the building of the pipeline came out minutes after a court ruling came out that said that everything was fine and that the company was good to go right they had been fighting it in court and the the legal history is a little um you know uh, like it was like there was a stay and then there wasn't and then right. it went up to a higher court. I mean, like those are like really technical issues of like legal procedure about sure. different courts and, and how things like and, and how temporary injunctions get granted. I'm not really going to get into that yeah. today, but suffice to say that, yes, Jackie is correct. Originally, a court ruled that the pipeline could not go forward, and then another court, um, the high, a higher court, ruled that, in fact, it could go forward. Uh, and then after that was when the Obama administration stepped in uh, to put a temporary stay, essentially, on the pipeline. So, guys, we do have a guest on the line, so that's why I've been a little bit quiet over here. Just trying to make sure that we can get her on the line. So, we have someone who's actually been on the ground, who um, is in North Dakota right now, fighting for this and i want to make sure she has her chance to let her voice be heard we have nicole donahue nicole can you hear us yes i can can you hear me yes we can great. so great there we go so guys clap for skype that actually worked yes so this has been a social experiment for us nicole sorry for the technical difficulties <laughs> but we are super happy to have you here and before we talk about all of the sad stuff tell us what's your favorite thing to do in the dakotas on a beautiful day i love spending time outside with my children and going hiking and just taking in the scenery and our our weather well it's so nice all right awesome Beautiful. so nicole um i'm jealous because the weather here is either oppressively hot or disrespectfully cold and we don't really have a lot of medium anymore in new york because of climate change and because our mayor is problematic so <laughs> i don't really have that experience anymore but we're happy to have you on here and we've kind of given some background on what's going on or at least the technical background of people who live thousands of miles away from north dakota could you please give our listeners a, just like a first person's point of view of what's happening like how it's affecting you how it's affecting the community Sure. Th thank you for having me, first of all. Um, so what's happening here in North Dakota, specifically with the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, a bit of background, I don't know, did you talk about um, the how the pipeline was rerouted from north of the state capital here in Bismarck to 500 feet from the northern border of uh, Standing Rock Sioux Reservation? Um, so, okay, so this pipeline, which is 
set to carry roughly 500,000 barrels per day, um, was routed uh, north of Bismarck, which is the capital city of Bismarck, or North Dakota, and um, which was too high of a risk for the water system here in, in Bismarck with the population here, and was moved 500 feet to uh, north of the, of the northern border of Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, my homelands. And so since April 1st of this year, there has been a spirit camp um, that was started by several organizers, several pipeline fighters that have been, been on the front lines with the Keystone Excel battle, um, basically standing in prayer constantly to try to halt this pipeline and stop it from going through under our water to, and you know, risking, you know, possible contamination. So, thank you so much for that background, Nicole. And I just want to ask a quick question, because I want to make sure I heard you correctly. So, it was supposed to be somewhere else, and they moved it because of safety concerns? Exactly. Yes, it was supposedly routed around the northeastern part of Bismarck. With, like is that I said, the white was, neighborhood? It is. What it a kawinky dink, guys. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so surprised. Not really. Yeah. And they said, and they moved it over there. All right, so, Nicole, we do have to go on a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk some more about this. And I also want to ask you about the way they're supposed to be dealing with this in relation to getting approval for the pipeline. I've heard sure. some things about sovereignty, which I don't know how to spell that, so I'm going to need a lot of your help, okay? Sure. All right, guys. So we're going on a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the process for which this pipeline should have been approved, what they're doing on the ground, and the next steps. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Hollywood, Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie, the loser, stupid face. <gasps> no. I love you. Cohen. <laughs> oh, thanks. And we are talking about this North Dakota pipeline protest, and we have Nicole Donahue on the line who was out there on the ground organizing and fighting to make sure that we, well, not we because we're in New York, but that her and her community are not forced to have a pipeline put near their sacred grounds and near their community and possibly contaminating their drinking water supply. Nicole was just telling us about some of the things going on over there, and now I wanted to bring the conversation back to her and start talking about what what the kind of what the conversation should have looked like in order for something like this to get approved. Because what I've been reading, um, you know, just regular websites like GeoCities.com, BlackPlanet.net, they had told me that apparently there should have been some kind of approval or permission requested from the reservations in order to have in order to have a pipeline put so close to this area. Is that true? That is true. Um, so the process for these types of projects is to uh, generally consult and have that nation-to-nation -nation relationship with the tribes. And that didn't happen here. Um, there was no consultation. There was several meetings where the Army Corps took testimony, but there was no actual consultation with what the tribes wanted to happen. So um, Standing Rock, like other federally recognized tribes, are... Um, they're sovereign nations, and we should be treated as any other form of government because we do have our own forms of government, and we do have our own constitutions and our own laws, and so that that um, process was sidestepped. 
Also, thank you very much for telling us that. So, guys, if you're just tuning in, like I said before, we are talking to Nicole Donahue, and she's an oil and gas field organizer for Dakota Resource Council and the member of the Standing Rock Seahawks tribe. So, we're talking about the North Dakota pipeline protest, and Nicole's been very active in that. And as she was saying before, you're supposed to be treating these reservations as independent governments. They have their own constitutions. They have their own laws. There should be a conversation and approval. There was sort of a conversation, but not really, and definitely no approval. Selena? Um, so, so, Nicole, I wanted... To, to see if you can talk more about who is actually backing the pipeline, the banks behind it, the corporate interests behind it, and why you guys have been getting so much so much pushback. I mean, you, you know, we often talk about how lobbyist groups and corporate interests um, play like a major role in politics, and I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here as well. Yeah, so a lot of the problem comes from our own state government, our state governor has interest in oil. He has several pipelines. Our One of our uh, congressmen in D.C. owns many wells in Williston, near the Williston area in the Bakken. And so I'm sure they really want to see this oil get to market because, you know, it's profitable for them. But the bigger picture, there are hundreds of banks that are, that are invested in this, um, Wells Fargo being one of them. There's a lot of lists floating around in social media with, um, details about how many people are actually um, invested in this pipeline. And so with oil here in North Dakota, um, <laughs> the, the, the issue with oil is, is that there is little regulation and there's a lot of projects that are moving forward and the people all over the state do not have much say. So there's an old African-American proverb um, to kind of like talk about what these politicians are doing or what it feels like they're doing. It's called conflict of interest. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's probably what we're facing right now, but I just want to pontificate that for a bit. Jack, you had something to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really remarkable thing. And something I didn't know about this issue is that the politicians and policymakers in North Dakota have a, a actual financial interest in putting through this project. So how it's a massive conflict of interest, no matter how, no matter how good the argument is um, for pipeline, right? I don't trust necessarily that the policymakers in North Dakota or anywhere are going Do to Do not put, trust them, Jackie. No, right. If, if they have a financial interest in lining their own pockets with putting forth this project, I don't think it's something that we can really trust to be done um, in the best interest of the people. I have a friend who um, organizes in North Dakota, and he told me he went to a hearing and he mentioned climate change and they booed him. It is yeah. not a place that is friendly to the environment. At least I mean, you have to understand why. And we've talked about this before. A lot of people's jobs are on the line, right? When it comes to these environmental issues, people that work in the oil, gas, and coal industry, people that are middle class, people that in some cases are struggling to survive. Now, that's not a good argument for why a pipeline should be built. That's a good argument for why we need to move to renewable yes. energy sources. Because guess what? There's plenty of jobs for these people. They don't have to work in coal. They can work in solar. They don't have to work in oil. They can work in wind. They don't have to work in in gas, they can work in geothermal. Or in Hennessy. There, ah! there are plenty of alternatives. You know, for, ev for everybody that says oil, gas, and coal, I say wind, water, and geothermal. There is so many other different ways we can do it. There's reports coming out this week that um, the country, and I realize it's a small country, of Costa Rica has been running on totally 100% renewable energy for the past six and a half weeks with no issues whatsoever. Yeah, I heard about that. We and need to make the switch to renewable energy, and we need to use that as a way to tell people, listen, we're going to, your coal job isn't going to exist anymore, but there's going to be a job for you. And provide training. So, by the way, you heard that, Governor Cuomo, we need 100% renewable energy by the year 2050. 
New York News. I think we need it sooner. <laughs> so I do want to get um, Nicole back in the conversation. And the question that I want to ask is about President Obama. So, of course, the federal government has put a halt to this pipeline. But has he been vocal, supportive, or even responsive at all to your, some of your issues around this? So when the ruling came out, so uh, our tribe did put in for an injunction to stop the to stop the building of this pipeline, which was shut down. Um, and minutes later, a, the Department of Justice, the Department of the Army, and the Department of the Interior released a statement stating that um, construction should be voluntarily halted 20 miles east and west of this part of the pipeline corridor. And so a lot of people are saying this is uh, a move by President Obama, but he hasn't really been vocal on this issue. President Obama came to our reservation a few years back and told our children that he would listen to us. And so we are still waiting for him to speak on this issue. So, you know, so a part of me is like maybe he's not talking because the minute he says something, it'll just put negative attention on it. But I'm, but then the other part of me is really disappointed because he needs to be out there and vocal. But I know we do want to switch gears, so I want to throw it to Selena. Yeah, so, you know, Nicole, as we mentioned, is a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and I I wanted to relate this more so to the historical context and the marginalization and the oppression that Natives and Indigenous people have suffered here in this country since... um, white people came over and (laughs) so basically so i wanted to say like you know nicole is this in any way related to the largest systemic issues that natives are continually go through i mean i know that that's the first thing that came to my mind it's like you know you we've already you know you guys already been so oppressed killed you know genocide and it's it's like we're still treating you know the the natives of this land no, I'm talking, well, I mean, yeah, colored people of color all go through these things, but I don't think anyone was killed to this level when, um, you know, Europeans first started coming over. No, yeah, yeah, I, I was just making a joke, but you're absolutely right. I'm sorry about that, Nicole, go ahead. Oh, yeah, certainly, I think this is, uh, this is symptomatic of a bigger problem, and so you're, you're absolutely right with the, the history of genocide and the history of oppression. When this pipeline was rerouted to where it is now, there was no mention of our tribe. There was no talk about, you know, the, the ancestral lands that, that are off the reservation. And so we were an afterthought. And so I absolutely agree with you that, you know, even though uh, area communities with people of color are the first to be used for a sacrifice zone, you know, it's even more problematic when it's, it affects a whole nation of Native American people. We're actually getting a tweet. Thank you for explaining that, Nicole. Uh, Bianca Marley says, I don't know why they think it's okay to go around policy and insert pipelines. They'll never respect reservations. Hashtag North Dakota. I mean, do you see a silver lining here at all, Nicole? Or do you think this is just uh, probably going to continue? Well, I'm hopeful. Many of us are hopeful. And we will stand in prayer until we get the answer that we, we've been waiting for, you know, not only with this pipeline, but historically we've been waiting for our government of the United States to actually acknowledge our tribes as equals. And so, yes, this is something that's been a long time coming, and this is something that we will always continue to fight for. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a good point. I just want to, like, go back for a second because and talk about some of these bigger issues. A lot of people really, I think, in this country don't seem to realize, uh, more like, mostly because history gets whitewashed, literally, pun intended, mm-hmm. in public schools. Um, yeah. But, like, when the, uh, about 12,000 years ago, um, when nomadic peoples first traveled from Asia into what is now Alaska and people who had come to be called Native Americans were numbered over 50 million. By the time Christopher Columbus came to the Caribbean in 1492, historians estimate that there were 10 million indigenous people living in U.S. territory. By 1900, the number had gone down to 300,000. I mean, that's Holy a significant wow. reduction um, in people. Um, a large majority of people were killed by disease because when Europeans came, they bought diseases that were not known to the Americas. And so a lot of people died from smallpox and other um, diseases. But at the same time, there was um, many people that uh, obviously were killed by uh, these people who had come to essentially steal the lands that they were not that that did not belong to them. Um, In addition, uh, between 1830 and 1838, federal officials working on behalf of white cotton owners forced nearly 100,000 Indians out of their homeland. And I say I use that word because that's obviously in historical context. This dangerous journey most people know it as the Trail of Tears. Over 4,000 Cherokee people died from cold, hunger, and disease. Um, and actually, one British traveler noted, and I'm quoting here, white Americans have the most rancorous apathy to the whole race of Indians, and nothing is more common than to hear them talk of expatriating them from the face of the earth, men, women, and children. Wow. So, I mean, and, and then obviously we get into the California gold rush, and when people started migrating across country, obviously they started... Uh, homesteading and taking up land that did not belong to theirs. So this is historically something that has been going on since settlers first came to this country in the 1400s and just absolutely devastating people that are native to this land and acting as though they own these lands that were not theirs to begin with. They never were. It's kind of mind-blowing. Nicole, I have a question for you. With everything happening in the presidential elections and Donald Trump talking about building a wall, do you wish you could build a wall and deport all of the non-Native Americans, a.k.a. the white people? Because I would help you. (laughs) I think we're a little late late for that. But... um, I think that, you know, as time goes on, I think we need to start I start listening to what my people do have to say because we feel a connection to the earth, and we've always felt this connection. And, you know, having all these tribes back together for the first time in hun- uh, over 100 years, this is a great significant um, part of our history. So, yeah, I think that we need to go forward with having that in mind. You know, one thing that I wanted to point out that Nicole has said at least twice is she keeps saying, like, they're standing in prayer. And I appreciate you for putting so much emphasis on that, the fact that you guys are standing in prayer and you have been demonstrating peacefully because the press and especially the people, you know, uh, backing the pipeline and law enforcement law enforcement are demonizing the Native Americans on the ground protesting. They're saying that we need excessive force and, and we need, yeah, and they're getting dogs. So, I mean, and the thing is, that's not what's going on. And again, history continues to just replay here. And it's and it's just so sad that we have not learned. I mean, when we first, when settlers first started wiping out and killing natives, they were demonizing them as like savages. Yeah, savages and, and using those type of names and, and pictures and portrayals. And to have that continue to go on is, is really, really horrible. And I just wanted to see if Nicole had a response to that. 
Well, definitely this is, you know, we, <laughs> it, it's almost like we've been drugged back into the 50s here in North Dakota. There's been, due to the reports that are coming out of the sheriff's, Sheriff of Morton County's office, what the um, controlled media here in North Dakota is reporting, there's a lot of racial tension that is being built, and there's a lot of racial slurs that have been floating around, and, you know, we were being called savages once again. You know, all of the basic stereotypes, the racial stereotypes are coming back out. You know, we, we all don't have jobs. We all are down there drinking and partying. And, you know, this a lot of lawlessness is what our state administration is saying is coming out of here. Wow. So we, they are driving the narrative of the wrong narrative of what is actually happening down there, which is a historical moment in our time that is led by peace, that is led by prayer, and that is led by unity. And so you're, you're, exa- you're absolutely right with, you know, the, the historical phrases that have been um, used by a lot of racists are, is coming back. You know, uh, Selena said something last or two weeks ago, you know, about racism, right? If you say racist things, you're racist. I think we need to continue to repeat that, whether it applies to uh, black people or whether it applies to natives. But I also did want to say before we finish out this conversation, and then people have the audacity to wonder why Colin Kaepernick doesn't stand for the national anthem, which is a conversation (laughs) we're actually going to get into in our next segment. So you should keep tuning in. And this obviously is part of the reason why is that. We have to understand that this country was built on slave, the backs of slaves and on the backs of genocide of the Native American people. And until we have a reconciliation about that, then he shouldn't stand for the national anthem. But I'm going to talk more about that in the very next segment. Yes, yeah, so Nicole, we do have to wrap things up, unfortunately. But I would like for you to let our listeners know what they can do to be allies, um, whether that's donate money, um, sit for the national anthem, whatever they can do. Please let us know how we can be allies in this fight. Yeah, so knowledge is power. Um, tell people as many people as you know that you can about this tell people about this also hold demonstrations in your cities stand in solidarity with Standing Rock also go to the Sacred Stone Camp website donate for the legal funds because a lot of our people are being taken to court Um, people that were leaving the demonstration here this past Friday on their way back to the reservation have been arrested for trespassing and I'm, I'm suspecting that they are going to throw the book at these people for minor minor crimes and so money, any kind of camping donations, winter is coming in North Dakota, gets very cold. So any way that you can, just show support by standing in solidarity with us. And Nicole, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and telling us what's going on out there, giving us a first-person point of view of what's happening. We want to make sure that we are standing as allies and supporting you. So thanks again for calling. Thank you so much. No problem. So guys, I want to close out this conversation, and I want to tell you a little trick. If you ever want to know what a pressure, what an oppressor looks like, go into your bathroom, close the door, turn out the lights, and say "All Lives Matter" five times. <laughs> and when you finish, what will pop up to you is a self-important patriarchal machine that loves and feeds off of racism and hate. And why? Because that's the only way you can have this much power for this long by taking advantage of people who maybe didn't know you were trying to take advantage of them or maybe didn't necessarily have guns because guns guns weren't a thing that you needed. And what we're seeing happen right now in North Dakota is the embodiment, the human form of the All Lives Matter movement and this, this complete dismissiveness of an entire group of people and what they want for the purpose of dirty 
money and not just dirty money but dangerous money because it's the kind of money that even though it makes one person's pockets fatter it could probably clog someone's arteries or make them sick or kill entire communities or contaminate their water and these kind of things are not just happening in north dakota they're happening all over the world and every week we come in here with a new travesty and we tell you what's happening and we get really upset and we get really sad and then next week it's off to the new tragedy so right now we're in north dakota and it's problematic and if you're upset right now and if you feel like things have to change then stand up don't just listen to this don't just retweet don't just pace around your room go to their website and donate some money there was a protest on union at union square in support of this movement there'll be more make sure you're going to those protests keep learning about this story and when you finish reading those articles don't just close it out share it on facebook make sure people are forced to see it because until you begin to stand up and get loud and share and donate and march and yell and scream the only place you will see the oppressor and be able to address the oppressor in a way that has any kind of influence is in your bathroom with the doors closed and the lights off saying all lives matter and that's kind of creepy i like things that actually make a difference so guys with that we do have to go on a quick break when we come back it'll be the news roundup and i will tell you how white people have found out how to fry chicken and it's not with seasoning what a surprise Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Snake. 